You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And joining me, returning... For the broadcast, Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm okay, Dave. I'm good. Um, yeah, returning. We, yeah. we rescued you from something heavy. We picked. You <laughs> I was back trapped up. under something heavy. Yeah, you've been trapped for a long time. That's um, uh, you know what movie is that reference? Uh, I don't remember. When Harry Met Sally. Is that what that's from? Yeah. Huh. I yeah. just have used it. It's one of those that I've used so long that I can't actually remember the origin. Do you use quotes from movies? Like my family. Constantly. We would not have personalities if it weren't for movies. Well, and so much of it, um, I I talked about this with my sister recently because we're a year apart. So much of it is movies we saw when we were like 11. And that we watched probably 25 times when we were 11. Okay, like what's the the number one? What's your biggest one? Just a bunch of happy Gilmore lines. Like really, just, like, like just like always, like uh, just always doing the go to your home. Are you too good for your home? Answer me, um, constantly. I see just that nonstop. I see that you're kind of happy Gilmore ish. Yeah, well, it's just so I have another theory, a competing theory, uh, not competing, but it's actually just like parallel in, in concordance. Yes. Yeah, parallel, uh, which is the movie you saw when you were twelve that you thought was funny is always going to be the funniest movie you ever saw. So think of whatever movie you saw when you were 12, and it was, oh, wow, that was really funny. I love um, that movie. It was probably 16, and that was Animal House. Sure. Yeah, but it's something when you were a teen. For me, yeah. it's it's like Happy Gilmore, when um, uh, something about Mary. Um, those two movies, I saw them when I was about 12. Airplane. And, and they just absolutely blew me away. Yeah. So, because you're just at peak impressionable and peak, like, you're not cynical about anything yet. So it's just you're taking it as just genuine laughs. It's like the most German you ever feel as a, as a, uh, as a, as a appreciator of humor. It's great. So let's take this to another level. Um, so m- my daughter has, is home and she's been watching uh, Only Murders in the Building. And she's very yeah. familiar with both Steve Martin and Martin Short. But now listening to Steve Martin, um, just not do stand-up, but act and everything. And she says, Dad, you talk like Steve Martin. Your rhythms and, <laughs> and your, your jokes. And I realized I grew up on Steve Martin. I mean, yeah. I, I did like Let's Get Small, that album I knew word for word, still do. And um, yeah, that formed, that completely formed the way I speak. It's yeah. really strange. Yeah. Yeah, Steve no, Martin. it's... There's a uh, there's um, there's knock on effects of all this stuff, and yeah. it's important 
to acknowledge uh, how much you will always appreciate the things when you were 12 to 16. Um, and Sometimes I just is, feel funny, Dave. I put <laughs> a slice of bologna in my shoes and I just feel funny. I've, I've heard you say that line. See? That's So scary. many times. That's Friday. Uh, but the other one, and this is going to slowly bring it around back to sports. Um, the other one is whatever athletes you watched when you were 12 to 16, whatever sports that you were really into, whatever teams you were really into. And this is very common among a subset of people who were born around 1975. Uh, you will think that they were the greatest teams ever, the greatest athletes ever, yada, yada, yada. Like so many people who were born in like 1975 are like, man – Larry Bird, just the best basketball player ever. Nobody could ever compare. He'd be crushing the league right now. You know, yada, yada, yada. And it's just, no, obviously not. That's not true. So it's is Larry just, Bird your guy? Is that yours? No, no, no. You were no, a Lakers mine, fan. Mine would be, uh, you know, well, the thing is I wasn't a huge um, uh, NBA fan when I was 12. But if you asked me who is who's the most underrated player of all time, Shaquille O'Neal, obviously. Really? Yeah, hmm. Obviously. I yeah. think if Shaq had been in shape his entire career, he'd be like, you know, a top three player ever. If Shaq could shoot 68% from the line. Yeah, whatever. Different. No, no, no. Imagine how that – they wouldn't have to take him out. You wouldn't have to do uh, – uh, what was it? Shaq attack? What What was the yeah, – yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the, the – um, uh, Hack-a-Shaq. Hack-a-Shaq. That's there right. Um, but anyway uh, – So wait, mine was – I. Because I grew up the first few years in San Francisco and I got brainwashed. And sorry, Dodger fans. Mine was always Willie Mays growing up. There you go. And that's, that went all through, you know, into my teens. Yeah. Yeah. Still is yeah. Willie Mays. Still yeah, just, like the greatest baseball player. It's the natural order. Um, always remember the things that you watched and did when you were 12. They're really impressionable. Anyway. Okay. We've got to talk about UCLA sports on this podcast. Okay, Crazy. let's go. Um, we are we are in the middle of the holiday season. UCLA has a huge day coming up on Friday. Um, we have the Sun Bowl at 11 o'clock in beautiful El Paso. That'll be UCLA versus Pittsburgh in the football sport on the gridiron. And then at 8 p.m., uh, 8 p.m., 8 o'clock p.m., uh, UCLA is traveling to Pullman to take on Washington State in men's basketball. The rare football men's basketball Twofer. doubleheader. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, exciting day. Um, and then, um, you know, UCLA uh, uh, signing day was now – how long ago was that? Was that just a week ago? <laughs> yeah, it was, actually. That feels like ages ago. So we should touch on that briefly. Maybe we, maybe we take that up top, then get to football, then get to basketball. Okay. Okay. All right. So – um, big thing that has happened in the last two weeks, which again, it now feels like several months ago, UCLA landed five-star quarterback, uh, Dante Moore, um, flipped him from Oregon, kind of a whirlwind recruitment, um, where it started a little bit early, but then as Chip Kelly acknowledged in his interview, kind of dropped off for a long time. And then they got back into it essentially when Kenny Dillingham, uh, it wasn't, Quite when he had taken the ASU job, it was when he there was a lot of when it was already obvious that it was happening, but it hadn't yet been announced in the middle stages of November. UCLA started to get back involved and uh, ultimately officially visited, came on campus, and 
they got it done. Um, I wanted to get your take on this. I think everyone else wants to get your take on this verbally, auditorially. Um, how much of a sea change? Orally is what you're saying, Dave? Yeah, 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 orally. There we go. That's what I wanted to get to. Yeah. Um, everyone does. Orally. Yeah. Um, how much of a sea change do you actually think this is for UCLA football recruiting? Well, um, just for the recruiting, uh, not on the field uh, impact, but just recruiting, uh, have to do a little bit of uh, horn tooting or torn hooting. Um, you know, we've been saying that UCLA, this is what we've been maintaining for a while, that UCLA has its natural advantages and it will always recruit at a high level. Um, it's, it's traditionally the number two program in the PAC 12. And a lot of that is because it benefits from being in LA sitting on a huge recruiting base, uh, natural reputation of the, of the academics in the school living in LA. I mean, and, and everyone has been, and I, I understand over the last few years, uh, Moore's last few years, Chip Kelly's first few years, people start started disbelieving that. I just didn't think that that went to die. I thought it was still there. Um, and it was hard to believe in it, but you win just a little. You go eight and four in one year and nine and three, and then you start being able to get a guy like Dante Moore. If, the, if, this, if Dante Moore was part of the, what, 2001 class? And UCLA was coming off a three and nine and four and eight. He wouldn't be looking at UCLA. There, there's yeah. no way. So, the the huge cornerstone of this is that UCLA is now winning. Um. So that's that's big. Nothing ever happens hinges on one thing. Like you're talking about how big of a development this is in recruiting. It's it's a process, but this is a this is a big step. Um. If we're talking about Pied Piper effect, it's usually overrated. Uh, I guess you really can't go back and remember too many times where UCLA got a commitment and then a bunch of other guys just signed on wanting to play with them. But it is it is a factor in a lot of people's, a lot of recruits' decisions. A lot of transfer, a lot of the decisions for transfer recruits too. It is a factor. So it's... It's kind of a big thing, um, I think, uh, combined with all those factors that contributed and then it as a factor itself. Um, getting Dante Moore being a year, just about a, a year and a half removed from starting play in the Big Ten. Um, <laughs> we haven't talked about the, the UC... <laughs> The UC Regents. No, and I think we should keep up our streak, Tracy, of not talking about it because it's a friggin' nothing burger, and it always has been. Should we just say let's just let's just get really in depth and said and say told you so? Let's yeah, just, just le- leave it, it at that. It was always a dog and pony show. Yeah. And so, and yeah. I'll tell you this: fearless prediction. They they said uh, UCLA might have to pay whatever two to ten million dollars a year. That's a recommendation, yeah. by the way. Yeah, another dog and pony show. You know what that's going to end up being? Like five hundred thousand dollars into a scholarship fund one time, yeah, yeah. Anyway, continue. And, and I mean, we maintain from the ver- one more thing. We maintain from the very beginning this is a ploy to get Cal an invitation to the Big Ten, and then later a lot of the people who 
were saying it was a very serious thing that you should take it serious and UC regents really have power, later admitted that it was just a ploy to get Cal an invitation to the big Well, and that was a huge part of it. But like, and this isn't even getting into the like normative arguments about it. it. It's also just a political thing. Gavin Newsom threw down his gauntlet and the regents wanted to give him a slight win. So they said, uh, yeah, two to 10 million. It's not a real thing. Right. Like it's, it's just, it's a way to say, hey, Gavin, here, we did this for you. That's it. Anyway, I, getting back to Dante Moore, I think it's a, it's a, it's a. Obviously, we don't know what's going to happen on the field, but it's it's a it's a big thing. The more you start thinking about it, I wrote that one article about its impact and its meaning. And once you start thinking about it more, it's the kind of one of those little puzzles where everything kind of fits into place, and you go, you know, you combine that with Jordan Brand, you combine that with playing in the Big Ten. You combine that with Chip Kelly having a top five offense. The one puzzle piece that's missing? Defense. Is it the defense, Tracy? If they would have had just a top 50 defense, I know this is just so highly speculative and so many games just are determined by whether Jake Bobo catches that ball in the back of the end zone. Um, But even so... um, if they had a top 50 defense this season, where are they now? Here's, here's something I'll say to you. Okay. Um, UCLA finished 107th in defensive points per drive. Let's talk about what they would have looked like with a top 80 defense. Like, it's, it, it's not just that they needed – they didn't need to be – I mean, look, it would have been awesome if they were top half. I would, have, I would have loved it. It would have been the best thing since sliced bread. Could you have just been in the top, like, 75 – the top, like, like 75%? Could that have happened? It's just the impact that that might have, might have made. Yeah, At crazy. least probably one more win, right? Yep. Yeah. Well, and and just so just so everyone knows, this defense actually turned out to be worse than last year, worse than the previous year. Let me see if it, if it's the worst of the Chip Kelly era. So, so Dave, far. I also want you to talk to. Um, there's points being made that. Uh, the defense was quite a bit better under Bill McGovern in the first seven games, and that is true. Uh, but w- yeah. Whether the de- whether the defense would have held up in the last five games. Well, we've um, seen that story a lot. I mean, I would say the the Brian Norwood defenses had very well. We're calling them the sorry the the, the Jerry Asinero defenses as uh, constructed by Brian Norwood uh, also had the same theme. They were often better at the beginning of the season. Um, why is it, that? Well, if you've got a um, if you've got a new thing you're doing, and so for Norwood they had the like kind of intricate um, blitzing packages, and um, it was also new in his first year. Um, so it takes time for teams to adjust. Takes time to put enough stuff on film to actually know what they're doing, and then once they adjust, they put the clamps down. And if you're not a very good, let's just call it what it is. If you're not a very good coordinator, you can't then. Adjust. You know, go go to a counterpunch. Yes. You know, you're not you're not given the straight right off the jab. You're still just trying to jab. Um, so uh, that's what happened here. Um, and I would say also, if you look at quality of opponents that UCLA played in the first six games, you've got uh, Bowling Green, Alabama State, and Colorado in the first four games, um, all of whom had uh, bad offenses this year. Well, one of them's an FCS school. They don't even count. Colorado, historically bad. Um, and then it was Washington and Utah, both of whom scored 32 points on UCLA. So it was already trending 
a, a little bit negatively by the time he um, but but by the time they got past the six the first six games, and then Oregon, you know, I don't know. I I, I look at it and say maybe McGovern was marginally better than what came afterwards, but I don't see it as this like huge sea change. I didn't really see anything significantly different schematically either. Like it was just you know it's sort of the same deal. It's just teams were figuring it out better. Um, I agree. So anyway, uh, what, while we were doing that, I looked at it. This was the worst defense UCLA has had since the first two years for Chip Kelly. So the two really bad years, this was the worst since that. Um, the, the, the Norwood influence defenses of the previous two years were actually better and somewhat significantly so. So whatever you feel about the first six games, they contributed to a defense that was the worst since 2019. So I think everyone is in agreement at this point. I, I think the Chip Kelly detractors, the Chip Kelly supporters, I think every UCLA fan can be on the same page with this one. Chip Kelly has brought the program uh, to a, a, a level of success. Uh, I don't think it's ultimately uh, satisfying this year, at if they, especially if they lose that bowl game. Ten and three, now you're talking marginally acceptable given where the program started. But I think everyone can say it's turned around. Yeah. Um, and then I think everyone can agree. Aren't we just tired of watching a bad defense? You have one of the best offenses in the country. You're attracting. I mean, what they're doing, and we'll get to this, but what they did in the, with quarterback recruiting in this cycle is truly phenomenal. Um, it's nuts. Colin Schley. <laughs> I want to talk to that man. Um, yeah. Uh, and from what I'm hearing, in many ways, Chip Kelly has had um, some, uh, I don't want to call it epiphanies, but just maybe has come around to uh, seeing another perspective. Let's call them epiphanies. <laughs> Are you really saying epiphany? No. Because that would be such a classic Dave. That, that would, would be, be fantastic. It would be Happy Gilmore. Yes. Um, it, not only with NIL, we've, we've discussed that. Um, but from what I'm hearing, possibly going out and getting an elite defensive coordinator for next season. Uh, I've heard enough. I've I've said it on the I've said it on the site. Uh, I had heard that UCLA had up to 1.5 million annually for a defensive coordinator if it were to hire a new one, which is kind of a little bit out of character uh, for UCLA. That would make it. I mean, I don't know defensive coordinator. I know there's a lot of huge DC salaries out there, but that would probably rank it top 12 to 15 probably in the country. I would bet. Yeah. Um, so. Things are a-changing here, uh, and that probably leads us into talking about Bill McGovern. And this week, um, well, just yesterday, yesterday. Uh, Bill McGovern appeared at the Sun Bowl Coordinator Press Conference and uh, uh, affirmed that he would be coaching in the bowl game. Uh, he didn't want to talk about his health, um, but he's, he acknowledged that it was a health issue that kept him out. And said he intends to fill out fulfill the uh, final year of his contract. 
Um, in other words, Bill McGovern intends to get paid for next year. Um, and so it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. Because um, I think here's the thing is uh, looking at the resume, I think you could make an argument um, pro uh, from a program perspective that he wasn't good enough. Um, uh, that the you know the defense that was created wasn't very good. Um, but I think there's also a lot of uh, sensitive issues around this and completely understandable ones. So it's a uh, it's a tricky situation. From what I've heard, um, it's not as uh, I'm not saying that you meant this, but from what you said and what a lot of people and maybe interpretation of what I've written too, it's it's not as cynical that he's it's a contract negotiation. From what I've heard, he legitimately wants to coach. I'm sure he does. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that, um, as I r- reported, that will be settled after the bowl game. Uh, it's uh, it's sensitive for us to talk about too, um, for a lot of reasons. Just not sensitive towards Coach McGovern's health, but sensitive about not wanting to impact the negotiation or whatever happens after the bowl game in terms of his status as defensive coordinator. Yep. Everyone does make that logical suggestion, move him into an analyst position. And that does make a lot of sense. And, and maybe that is, that is what, what happens from what I have been told by a lot of different sources, kind of close to the whole thing is that, um, if they were betting, they would say UCLA would have a new defensive coordinator next year. I think that's the best way of putting it. That's good. That's good. We can kind of leave it there for now. Um... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Uh, but we should probably move on to the bowl game unless there's anything else you wanted to say about recruiting. Um, cause I, know um, we've got I mean, we could bit. talk about transfer recruiting. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So one guy who was, as you mentioned above, was impacted definitely by um, the recruitment of Dante Moore was uh, Oregon tight end Maliki Mataveo, um, who is the transfer tight end from Oregon. He played, I think, two seasons at Oregon, um, is coming into UCLA. Um, we know Moore's uh, recruitment played, made an impact on him. Um but, yeah, I mean, uh, transfer recruiting so far, I mean, the guy I'm probably most excited about is, very weirdly, uh, Spencer Holstich. Oh, it's the... not weirdly at all. I mean, we <laughs> wrote that 
commitment analysis. And as I kept writing, I kept saying, oh, my God, Spencer Hulses is by far the number one commitment of this transfer class and probably will end up being the number one commitment of the transfer class. Yeah, but uh, weirdly only rated an 88, huh? Uh, Um, But yeah, uh, transfer recruiting um, has, you know, I think it's been pretty solid so far. Um, Missed on a few targets so far, but um, overall I'd say filling some needs, obviously still a lot more to fill. If you haven't already, uh, read Tracy's two stories, uh, one from today analyzing the defense, one from yesterday analyzing the offense goes into depth on uh, what the current depth is for next year, what the needs are. It's really, really in-depth and good. Are there any kind of main takeaways you wanted to bring up? Well, that's the thing. They could read what I think. I want to know, like, just really quickly, given the commitments they now have from the transfer portal, what do you think are the priorities of a a transfer portal? Well, we just talked. We just talked about it. Um, it's it's defense. Um, I I need some. I need some secondary. Like it's. Um, I would say cornerback situation was borderline dire this year, and it depends on how bullish you are on the potential for Devin Kirkwood and John Humphrey. But I'm not particularly. I think they have potential, and I think it's potential to be realized. But the problem is. Is that next year? Is it two years down the line? Who knows? Um, so I think it's sig- it's hugely significant for them to get um, corners. Um, yeah, I think but at least you're returning guys who actually functioned as starters. I, I, I mean, obviously Kirkwood, uh, Humphrey did, and also Davies towards the end of the season. Well, safety, yeah. safety wise. Well, you were, yeah, come on, you're stealing my thunder because wow, I know I, I was, was gonna just say, so excited. I had to talk about it. Go corner ahead. is corner is that dire for me, and that's not even getting into safety, which is you're losing two guys, so two super seniors. Who, if you told me a year ago they're losing Mo Osling and Stefan Blaylock, I'd have been like, oh, okay, that's probably not gonna be so bad because Blaylock's been underwhelming throughout his career, and Osling, he's a journeyman. That's okay. And then you looked at the way they played this year, still contributing to a bad defense, but easily, I don't know, what would you say, two of the top three performers on this year's defense? Absolutely. Um, um, and we could argue about who the third one was. Yeah, I mean, I would probably give it to Leatu Latu, but you could yeah. you could absolutely say these two were the top two. Yeah. Um, and they're losing those guys. And, I mean, what you projected is scary because Kamari Ramsey yeah we all think he's going to be pretty good right like but is it going to be in his first year of real playing time and I don't know and William Nimmo um I I like I, I don't like talking uh bad about players really but he's he's not a he's not a Pac-12 starter and then uh, there's Kenny Churchwell who played linebacker who's a linebacker he, I mean games. he was he was working entirely with the linebackers for basically the last month of the season and, so, and, and even if they get a new scheme, most of the time new schemes are using that nickel star guy, which is yeah. what that is, was what he played. So Yeah. Yeah. And so what I'll say is, like, I feel you – so, like, defensive line, I, I think you can always use more bodies. I don't think anything there is, like, five-alarm fire. You need, you need, you know, major, major depth. I mean, I think the deal is – 
they've got some defensive tackle work to do um, because behind Gary Smith and Jay Toya is uh, who knows. Well, I think what it also uh, is is they need more of that three technique because Smith and Toya are more nose. You bloggers. need that quick, yeah. explosive three technique. Yeah, and I think Gary Smith is a little bit more mobile than Toia, but he's still 320. Um, and then at linebacker, again, like, I, I, I could go either way on it. I think they have got a lot of bodies, and hopefully somebody emerges. Hopefully Ali Kaho comes back and is really good. Um, but, you know, you could you could talk me into they only get, like, one or two more defensive linemen linebackers, and I'd still be okay with it. The secondary, they 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 literally need, like, four more guys for me to feel good about it. Yeah. I'd be happy. I mean, let's not get too wishful. I'd be happy with one proven cornerback and one proven, well, two proven, well, <laughs> let's just say one and a half proven safeties. Yeah. Um, but that uh, those are key to me at this point. Uh, running back, yeah, that'd be great. And uh, if they got an elite running back who could plug in. And, and by the way, how can they not get a transfer running back after what Zach Charbonnet did in this offense? Wouldn't people be looking at that position saying, oh, my God, that's where I'm going to go. I'll run for 1,300 yards. Um, so that's recruiting true. recruiting running back, my God. So um, let me just – but, but – Okay. One thing with running back, which I want to just bring up because I think people are not going to take what you're saying perfectly because the thing is an elite running back is obviously going to be great in this offense, but here's what every running back does in this offense. Zach Charbonnet did seven yards of carry. That's really good. Last year he did 5.6. Britton Brown did six. Uh, the previous year, uh, Demetric Felton did 5.1. Britton Brown did 6.6. Uh, the previous year, uh, Joshua Kelly did 4.6, uh, Demetric Felton did 3.8, uh, but still like well over a thousand yards. And then the previous year, Joshua Kelly did 5.5. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm reasonably confident to, in saying that Chip Kelly is going to craft a running game out of basically anybody. Um, I think with an elite running back, it takes it to another level without an elite running back. It's still going to be pretty good. So you're saying the running game will be good serviceable no plus with tj harden yeah it'll be tj harden it'll be uh i mean i like anthony adkins i think he's going to be fine i just don't know if he's um if he's got the like mobility or the the catching chops to be that's a starter. the army transfer by the way yeah the army transfer um but i think there's enough there that you can say yeah okay i don't think keegan jones can be the starter but also i've been surprised before we were saying the same thing about Demetric felton heading into the year he started a running back um and that leads us, and we have to talk about this because, uh, and that's quarterback recruiting, because I've been critical of Chip Kelly's quarterback recruiting since he's been at UCLA. It just, I mean, he, he's pretty much a quarterback guru. He runs a great offense that features uh, an NFL-style scheme, and he just hasn't recruited that well at quarterback. Um, but you got to give a lot of credit here. Obviously, Dante Moore, number three ranked player in the country, arguably. I mean, and that's the number three ranked quarterback. But arguably, could be the best quarterback prospect in the twenty twenty three class. Um, and and then oh, okay, so he gets the high school guy, Luke Duncan, who's a long term but has some upside. 
has potential to be a starter at UCLA from what I saw of him. And had a very uh, good uh, senior season. Had a very good senior season. But then Colin Schley just – that's that's a phenomenal get. Uh, one of top, I think he was a top five transfer quarterback, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and just if you look at him statistically, it's impressive. But if you watch him in games, he's really impressive. Uh, yep. Like like very impressive. He's coming in. He's got to know that Dante Moore is is so talented. He's probably going to win this spot. And he's coming in to, I mean, they talked to Colin Schley from what I've heard and said, we would really like you to work as a mentor for Dante Moore. And he said, absolutely, I'm, I'm into it. Just to get to get that guy who, I'm, let's say they didn't get Dante Moore, who would you project as the starter next year between uh, Ethan Garbers and Schley? It'd be a really close thing, um, you know, because I I think for for Schley he's um, what what I think gets lost. Um, he's a dual threat. Yeah. Uh, dude can run. Yeah, he can really run. Uh, he had almost 500 yards rushing last year. Yeah, um, five yards a carry, four touchdowns. Ethan Garbers is probably a slightly underrated athlete. He's not that. He's not running for 500 yards. Um, so it would have been a close thing for me. Um, and that's the thing with Schley is I think he's coming in and I think Dante Moore more than likely is going to win the starting spot. Um, but Schley, I could see them carving out a role for him even on the playing field beyond just being a mentor and a backup because of that running ability and wanting to take miles off the legs of Dante Moore. Um, you know, take some responsibilities off him, maybe have Schley be kind of a red zone um gadget kind of guy uh because that could be a role that he could fulfill really well because he is a talented talented runner and then if you're talking fun at spring practice they're all supposed to be there and if like i said in what i when i wrote about how this all could shake out from quarterback depth chart justin martin would be the obvious guy to probably transfer because of dante moore um haven't heard anything out of the program that he's thinking of transferring yet. So if he hangs out through spring practice at least, wow. That's, I mean, Dave, you're going to want to go there on the days you don't have to report. I know. It's going to be one of those years for me. There aren't enough footballs. They're going to have to do some kind of thing with the quarterbacks where. It'll have to be the old Nolmazoni drills. Remember those? Where, where it's like it nine like... guys throwing at one time? Yeah, yeah. That was apparently a Mike Leach thing. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, so uh, there's going to be a lot of fun in spring ball. we got to get to the games, though, because I know you've got to run here in no, uh, yeah, about 20 minutes. Okay. we got to get to the games. Okay, go ahead. I know you like talking recruiting, and you love to talk recruiting all well, day long. It's exciting. we got to talk about the games. Okay, all right. Pittsburgh. Uh, Pittsburgh, we're going to briefly touch on this one because, frankly, it's it's hard to suss out exactly what's going on here. And so it's just my preview is going to be kind of like this, too. But Pittsburgh's uh, coming in with a ton of opt-outs. Um, yeah, they're how running many back. total? Like, they're it's, top five guys, but how many total? It's eight dudes, uh, but, like, all of them are major, major contributors. Wow. So they're starting running back, uh, Izzy Abaniconda, who was, again— probably their best player, a first-team All-ACC guy. 
led the conference in rushing. He's out. Middle linebacker, who was also first team all-conference, Servosia Dennis, uh, he's out. He was the top tackler last year, uh, or this this year. Uh, defensive end, Deslin Alexandri, uh, who was, or Alexander, who knows. Uh, he was their, probably one of their best pass rushers from the edge, at least. Uh, he's out. Uh, their uh, starting offensive tackle, Gabe Hui, who knows. Uh, he started most of the last few years. He's out. Uh, their consensus All-American defensive tackle, uh, Kalija Kansi, he's out. Uh, their starting strong safety, Brandon Hill, is out. Uh, and then Keaton Slovis, who is their starter this year, he's out, the quarterback. And then their defensive end, John Morgan, uh, he also entered the transfer portal. Um, so, oh, and on top of that, Carter Warren, who also missed the last eight games due to injury, may have been back for this game. He's an offensive tackle. He's out. So they're going to be down. They're two starting offensive tackles from the beginning of the season. They're starting quarterback. They're starting running back. And then on top of that, every good player from their defense, basically. So you're giving uh, UCLA's defense a chance. Well, let's not go too far. <laughs> uh, so UCLA, as far as we know, um, the only opt-out of any real note is Kazmir Allen. And as far as we know, he was hurt anyway. Um, and he's on the but, trip. And he's on the trip anyway, because uh, say whatever you will about Chip Kelly's program, the culture seems really strong. Um, guys want to participate. They want to hang out, except for the specialists, maybe. Um, but they're still playing, too. Um, um, but, the specialists uh, have a special grudge. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Um, but, but honestly, at this point, we're Wednesday, the game's Friday. You Maybe there'll be a last-second opt-out, but Dorian Thompson-Robinson and Zach Charbonnet, as of now, are playing. Yeah, and I, I, I expect them to at this point. I mean, they've— It'd be pretty it would, crappy it, if they opted it, out now. It, it, well, it would be a very—it um, would be an unexpectedly selfish move from either player to have you know soaked up the first-team reps and then yeah. make a last-minute decision. Now, if one of them were kind of nicked up and it wasn't sure, and then they made that decision based on that, understand that. But you're right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't want to be, I want to be very clear. I'm not saying it's selfish to opt out. That's totally, it's right. to wait until the last minute to do it and soak up all the first team reps. Right. Like that could be valuable time for Ethan Garbers, for Keegan Jones, for TJ Harden, et cetera. Yes. So um, those guys, uh, it certainly looks as if they're playing. I expect UCLA to win this game pretty comfortably. But I, I but who knows? I mean, Pitt could have a great depth chart. It's just we haven't seen these guys. <laughs> but. Uh... When you project, obviously, you do a lot of the previews, or all of them now. Um, a team can lose one or two guys, and they can hold up because it's 22 guys in the field. You can't lose, like, nine guys. Nine no, critical it, it, guys. And it's, and it's not like these the guys behind them can't play. It's just there's so much continuity lost. So much, like, just understanding of who's, who's doing what on the field. The line has now moved to, I think, UCLA is favored by six, something like that, which... That feels kind of right, but what still, I think it's it, it opened at like three, hmm. um, but that was before all the opt outs. I think it should move more. Um, I think UCLA should be favored by a touchdown here. Um, I just I, I don't know what to expect from Pitt at all. Um, they 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 just have lost so much. It's like an entirely new team. Uh, it's okay. like it, predicting this one is like a season opener, except you don't have years of practice or you don't have months of practice reports to read um, going into it. 
Uh, uh, Caden Slovis. Wow. His career went in the tank, man. Wow. Do you remember when we were watching him his freshman year and we were like, wow, that guy's incredible. And it's really slightly inexplicable, too. Well, he he had an injury. Uh, It was like a shoulder injury. Because if you look at his first year, I mean, very clearly and far and away his best year as a quarterback. Um, He uh, threw for almost uh, nine yards uh, an attempt, 30 touchdowns, nine interceptions. He looked like the quarterback of the future for USC and then just dropped off precipitously each year uh and this year was his worst year yet at Pitt. um just incredible um and now he's going to byu i think so good luck to him yes yes um basketball basketball we're talking basketball so this is Uh, kind of fun because i know you love all of the uh more advanced stats uh-huh. That, that basically pretty much Ken Paul. They all have UCLA ranked, you know, top five. Can we can we tell Mick told you so yet about his defense? Can <laughs> yeah, we tell him that yet? Because remember, I, I can't remember which one of us asked it or if it was Mike or, but somebody asked him in like one of the first availabilities of the season. Hey, you you must think this defense can be pretty good, right? And he's like, I don't know. I think by like maybe February, hopefully we're pretty good, but I don't see a team with this many freshmen being good defensively. <laughs> they like that that road trip, um, Maryland, Kentucky, and the thing is, that was really cool. And but you kind of expected it. You kind of expect them to go into those big game apps. It was like similar to the Marquette thing last year, but then to come home. And just annihilate Davis, too, which is, again, like kind of in that same realm of like sort of a cupcake, but not really. Like they're actually a competent team. They went on the road and beat Cal. I mean, Cal's not very good, but still. Uh, And just annihilate them, too. Uh, This team is locked in defensively and right now is the highest rated Cronin team defensively in his tenure so far. And that's the difference because, Mm -hmm. as we've been saying for a long time, and you use that line that defense travels which is a great little line. But also, obviously, game to game, you can be off shooting the ball. You know, you're just – the ball's not going in for whatever reason. You you Like, you could create good offense. You get good looks. It's just not going in. Defense is really just effort and focus. And you can take that from game to game. And – that's why this team, I, this team obviously has some flaws. God, rebounding kills me. Defensive rebounds, damn. <laughs> uh, that's probably the most frustrating aspect of this team for me. Um, and a lot of that is just a Dembona is only averaging like five rebounds a game, which I thought he'd probably be at 10 a game. Um, and I will say for a Bona, it is improved. He's, he's gotten better he's over the better. last... So right now, remember when I was saying he was like right there with David Singleton with defensive rebounding rate? Right now, he is second on the team among the starters behind Jalen Clark. He's ahead of Jaime Hawkins now, so he's getting better. But he um, should be far and away number one for defensive rebounds on this team. I'll say he should be, he should be right there with Jalen Clark. At, at least. Because um, Clark is one of the premier uh, defensive rebounders at his position in sure. college basketball. Sure, sure. So that's why this team is really even more exciting, even though it has a lot of flaws. Um, more exciting. Well, for one thing, if you look at college basketball, it is wide open. 
Uh, I mean, mm-hmm. I do like Houston. <laughs> I watched them a couple of times. But, man, there are a lot of – I could easily see in the NCAA tournament a Final Four of teams that no one predicted, that it's wide open and it's whoever gets hot in those six games. And defense not only travels, defense translates to the NCAA tournament too. It's just – it's the one common denominator for a team to win at a high level consistently through its offensive lulls. And, man, this defense is really fun. It's really fun to watch. And there are a lot of contributors that we we just got to do shout-outs for. Um, uh, obvious, like, yeah, Jalen Clark, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Um, David Singleton's defense. He's playing the best best defense of his career. And I it's think not, part of it. Yeah, go ahead. He's, mo- he's moving better. He's moving so much better. Um. He was never a good defender. He didn't have great quickness, and he still doesn't. When he sometimes matches up against great athletes, you can see he gets a, a little exposed. But dang, his defense has been great, and it's just not his on-ball defense. He knows where he knows where to be. He knows help. He knows rotations, and a lot and of he's people calling everything and out. He's calling he's out so everything. So verbal, and and a lot of people are asking why Will McClendon is playing over Abramo. Zonka, it's because watch Will McClendon. He knows how to play defense in 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 Cronin's uh, scheme, um, and he's a good defender. And he and he's still not even all there yet. Um, and he's similarly verbal. Actually, I would think if yeah. you're looking for a, a ideal or a hopeful replacement for David Singleton next year, look to the McClendon. Yeah, um, yeah. From shooting standpoint, also you can see that's you can see that that could happen. Yep. Um, so. Obviously, David Singleton as a defender, but then you also got to give credit to Amari Bailey because it's it's funny how this works when you have when you have one good perimeter defender, then you got a, a few guys that aren't or just okay. Yeah, your defense isn't that good, but you get one good perimeter defender like Jane Clark, and then you add a good athlete who can really defend the ball and is smart in Amari Bailey. It makes such a difference on the perimeter. Um, yeah. Their perimeter defense is, is really fun to watch. And, and it's just not Jalen Clark. It's Amari Bailey too. He's playing well, really good defense. Well, and the thing that was stood out from the Maryland Kentucky uh, trip. Um, and this was because I, I want to hit on that word fun that you keep talking about because I found the Ben Howland defense is fun. I in, did too. In, the, in their own way. Um, because it was fun just watching them slowly. It, it was sort of like just slowly choking the life out of a team. Like just slowly, oh, yeah, yeah, sorry. No, this isn't going to be easy. It's going to be unfun. You might score a little at the beginning of the game, but then it's just slowly we're going to turn the water off. Um, and that was the style of defense. Um, but it was, it was very um, – there were no taking chances. There was no – they were never very good in steal rate. It was all just solid positional defense. We're going to hedge the hell out of the ball. We're just going to make it really difficult and long and arduous, and you're going to expend more energy on offense than you ever thought you'd have to. This isn't that. This is fun as hell. Um, And a big part of it was um, Jaime Hawkes with Jalen Clark and Amari Bailey doing their thing on the perimeter. When Hawkes is locked in, and those are important words, when he is locked in, 
his feel for the game on the defensive end means that he can also steal the ball four times a game like he did against Maryland and Kentucky because those guys uh, teams are so focused on where's Jalen Clark I can't throw the ball where's Jalen <laughs> That's Clark scary, I can't scary, throw man. the ball and then Jaime Hawks is like, oh, okay, let me just take that ball from you because you seem scared to hold it, and I'll just go ahead and go dunk this right now. Um, and there was like almost a two-man game going on defensively with those two, where Jalen Clark would be matched up on a guy and like kind of just blocking him from doing anything, and then Jaime would be like, oh, okay, let me have that. Um, there, there, there's, a, there's a combination of experience, athleticism, a lot of things going on where these guys are so locked in right now, and this is the kind of thing where it has to maintain, you know, the focus has to maintain, but they're so locked in defensively right now that they can freelance a little bit, um, and they can do it within the confines of the defense in a way that works, where you end up with a game where two of the starting players have four steals apiece, and you ended up with it twice in two games against top-quality competition, Maryland and Kentucky. That's insane. Yeah. Uh, you expect that against Davis. You expect that against whatever uh, Sacramento State. You don't expect it against Maryland and Kentucky. Um, and that's the difference. And, and what's really kind of stands out to me about this, Jalen Clark is just naturally an, an instinctive defensive player. I mean, from the time he first stepped on the court, he was doing these kind of things. Um, Jaime Hawk has played defense hard, but he, he wasn't a great defensive player when he first started. He's become a good one. He's taken it to another level, like when he's locked in, like you said. Yes. But it's so often, it's just from his experience. He knows what where the ball's going, what the other team's going to do offensively. Um, it would be great. Wouldn't it be great to sit in on a film session with him, with a team, and just have him break down other teams? Not even the other team's defense, but the other team's offense, just to say yeah. what he sees – because he obviously knows what they're going to do. Um, and uh, it's funny because this, this year in UCLA sports, you have you got a little bit like Jaime Hawkes is now to the point where he, he's got like a, a professional level of experience. He's played so much, as does uh, um, Zach Charbonnet, as does Dorian Thompson-Robinson. It's a testament to... Stay another year, <laughs> dominate yeah. co your college sport, because Jaime Hawkes, I think the last projection, he's now worked himself into the first round, and, and, and he has a shot at that. Yeah. yeah, well, it's the it's the um, you know, it's the Darren Collison plan. It's the uh, I mean, Aaron Aflalo probably should have it would have been fun if he could have stayed another year, but he stayed long enough to work himself into a first rounder, even though he was you know. Body type wise, not a first rounder. And same thing with Jaime. You know, he's not a he's not a first round athlete. But you play enough college basketball, you show your feel, you show your winning ability. That matters to teams, and it it should. Like it's not all just projectables and measurables and all that kind of stuff. Slavic. A lot of it is feel. Yeah, a lot of it is feel. Yeah, um, and his feel because um, if you look at what he's doing this year, I mean, he's doing a lot of facilitating. Um, he's doing a lot of like I'm the guy with the ball at the top of the key and I'm gonna make something happen um, and not all the time is it him just forcing the ball up um, there's just there's a lot going on with him this year and I think it's impressing scouts because he's showing that advanced acumen um, and now if I would just I would just ask him to first uh, draw more fouls because he's got the lowest free throw rate of his career right now and two 
and this is counterintuitive, Jaime, but stick with me, shoot more threes. You're, you're shooting 22% right now on 22 attempts. You're not going to break out of whatever this mini slump is unless you actually shoot more. And if he's and a threat from outside, they'll, they're sagging off him a bit because he's so devastating off a of bounce. And um, his, shot, his shot isn't broken. It doesn't look any different from two years ago when he shot 39%. Just keep shooting him, dude. Yeah, but he knows. You can see it running through his head. He's all, I could take this, and this would probably be good, but, you know, I know I can just (laughs) put the ball on the ground, and I'm going to take this guy at at the rim. Well, he's just, he's so tricky. He's fulfilled my dream of him being, like, one of those, like, Wisconsin players from the mid-aughts who just has so much finesse around the hoop that it's just like, oh, okay, he's going to score no matter where he gets the ball and when it happens, and it's going to be, like, three feet from the hoop. And this um, is what's fun. The adjusted defense on Kim Palm is t- is 10th in the yeah. country, which is, like you said, the highest. What was the other highest of any? I think last year they got up to about 18th, didn't they? Last year they were 16th at the yeah. end. Yeah. Um, previous year they were 46th, and the previous year they were 112th. That's a trend. Yeah. Um, wait, wait. The I, final four team was 76th? 46th. 46th. Yeah, they were they, really bad until the last month of the season. I would say they played some of the best defense of the Cronin era in that month leading up to right uh, from the that month until now. Cronin's defense has been a force, but this is the great part. So they're ranked tenth right now. Uh-huh. The offense, the adjusted offense, is fourth. Yes, <laughs> that will not stop people from complaining about the offense, though. Yeah. Um, and still somehow claiming that it is isolation based, which is um, not how I would describe this offense. Right no, now. but you know what? It, it, it pivots. There are times when it is isolation based and there are times when they're really passing the ball. And that's not coincidental. It, it, it depends on matchups, opponents, the whole thing. Well, that's what I would describe it as. I would describe it as matchup based, um, and I think they're they've got kind of a Swiss Army knife offense where they're, you know, when they're flowing the ball around, it's obviously like it's a prettier style of basketball and all of that, um, which they do. Like they do it pretty frequently. Like there's there's four guys with a really good assist rate on this team. Like it's not like they don't pass the ball. They just they, they do what works, and sometimes it's Jaime going isolation, but it's not actually that often, and he's a much more willing passer out of isolation spots than, say, Johnny Juzang or Jules Bernard ever were, um, and, and yeah, it just all kind of works better, and I think a big part of it is you've got two, you've added two guys to the starting lineup in Jalen Clark and Amari Bailey, who are both very very willing passers um and you're taking away two guys who were i won't say they were unwilling passers bernard and and uh and juzang but they weren't um that was not their first or second thought when they caught the ball you know who's also a better improvement on passing this year and that's david singleton this season compared to last he's a he's he's actually driving the ball stopping and laying it off effectively so yeah no it's it's a it's a great fun team i I think they they definitely you know we haven't even gone into you know praising jalen clark or even haven't said the word tiger campbell words we also haven't even said Um, a dembona who got a lot better this past week yeah i mean there's yeah so fun fun team 
And you look at them and you still say, wow, there's still so much better that they could even get. Right. Yes. So, yeah. Exciting. Exciting yeah. times. Hopefully they don't lose to Washington State on Friday. Didn't they just lose to Hawaii? And Utah State. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that'll probably wrap it up for us. You got anything else, Tracy? No. Just Friday should be a massive amount of fun. You might have to, like, uh, have two types of UCLA clothes you're going to put on. Because that's a long time to be in the same clothes, right? It is a long time. Maybe, like, take a nap in between, shower, um, say hello to your kids, and then go and watch the basketball game. There you go. All right. For Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods, Bruin Report Online. We will talk to you again next time. See y'all.